to each one and greetings in Jesus' name, the author and the finisher of our faith. I'm thankful to the Lord for safe travels this past week. Last weekend we were spent the weekend in Wisconsin with my family and it's good to be back again. Then I'll share something that happened this week. Aaron was with me. We were on the truck heading south on Interstate 81 coming to back up and there was a bad accident. We sat for four and a half hours total till we got through the, through the wreckage. And so while we sat there on the interstate, people get out of their vehicles and we made some interesting contacts during that time. People talk and get together and pass the time. Met a family from Front Royal, husband and wife had two small children. They were Catholic older single truck driver from Pennsylvania and another another couple older couple that was traveling home to Florida from Pennsylvania she had jaw surgery so what while we talked there and traffic started moving eventually two and a half three hours in and we went back got in our vehicles and started moving again and I just thought about it. I'll probably never see these people again. Well, we didn't move very far until they shut the road down again. And our same group congregated back together again and spent some more time visiting. So I thought that was interesting. But yeah, you, don't, you never know who you're going to meet along life's pathway. I invite you to Matthew chapter 11 for the message this morning. I want to continue our study here in Matthew. In the previous chapter, we looked at persecution and what it means to be a follower of Christ. Jesus talked much about counting the cost of what it means to follow Him in chapter 10. Now here in chapter 11, we'll be looking at John the Baptist. I want to read verses 1 to 15 at this time, Matthew chapter 11. And it came to pass, when Jesus had made an end of commanding his twelve disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Now when John had heard in prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. And as they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, What went you out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Verily I say unto you, Among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. 
Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied unto John. And if ye will receive it, this is Elias, which was for to come. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. So there are many things that we could pull out of this passage this morning. But I want to look at four things. First thing I want to look at is John's question. John poses a question to Jesus through his disciples. Why did he ask it and what was behind it? Then I want to look at Jesus' response. We will look at our Lord's response to John and what he says to John. Then I want to look at what did Jesus mean by falling away on account of him? What was that all about? And fourthly, who was John the Baptist and how is he connected to the prophet Elijah? Titled the message this morning comes from verse 10. It says, Behold, I send my messenger. So here in verse 2, John is in prison. He heard from prison. And John was in prison because Herod had put him in prison because John had spoke out against King Herod's marriage to his brother's wife. His brother was still alive, and yet he took his brother's wife. John knew that that was wrong, and that was committing adultery, so he spoke out against it. He spoke out against King Herod. So Herod has him put in prison. So here we have John in prison. The Bible tells us that John the Baptist came as a witness to the light. John was not the light. He said, I am not the light. The true light that lights in men is coming into the world. I am just a witness to that light. But as a witness to the light, he didn't have a full revelation of everything the Bible had to say about what the Messiah was going to do. There were things about their understanding of the Messiah, about the Messiah's role in the Jews. The Jews chose not to think about some of these things. Isaiah had prophesied that the Messiah would come and suffer, but the Jews tended to downplay that. And instead, they were more interested in this idea of the Messiah coming as a political conqueror who was going to put down the enemies of Israel and free them from their bondage to slavery. They never really conceived this idea that Jesus was going to set men, come and set men free from slavery to sin. That was just the way they thought. Jesus went around saying things like, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He would say it repeatedly, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In their mind, the kingdom of heaven meant political power. So here we have John expecting Jesus to come as a political deliverer. John knows that he is the one who is called to go before the Messiah and announce his coming. He's probably expecting that any time now, all these things will start to play out. Where Jesus takes over and he's going to be set free. And it's just not happening. 
or at least it's not happening in the way that he thought, in the way that he conceived or expected that it would. So he questions. I thought the kingdom of God was coming. So here we see John sends two of his disciples to Jesus with his question. Are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? You can hear the doubt in his mind. He's wondering. This idea that they had about the kingdom of God and their misunderstanding of it brought on many questions that Jesus was asked during his earthly ministry. Turn with me to Luke 17. Verse, Luke 17, verse 20 and 21. Now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation. Nor will they say, Say here, see here, or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is within me. How can the kingdom of God be within me? The kingdom of God was basically to be embodied by Israel. The Bible says that and rule and establish his kingdom and there will be amazing signs and wonders and he will put down the enemies. They knew that this was going to be a historical event and that it was going to take place. So when Jesus would say the kingdom of God is within you, that puzzled them. We know that when Jesus, when he was talking about the kingdom of God and his first coming, begins in the heart of the believer when we accept Jesus as our Savior. And for there to be a kingdom, what do you have to have? You must have a king. And if there is a king, you probably have a throne. When Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you, he is explaining the fact that during his first coming, the kingdom of God begins in the heart of every believer who receives Jesus as Savior, who enthrones him in their heart, makes him Lord of all, and the kingdom grows from there. So the Jews took the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus and somewhat mixed them together. The suffering servant part was kind of hard for the Jews to wrap their mind around. They tended not to look at those prophetic passages about the suffering servant. Instead, they focused on his second coming and so on. What does that teach us? We as people have ex expectations about life, about marriage. And when it is not that way, we're often disappointed. We have expectations in our jobs, in relationships. We have expectations in the church. These people had expectations relating to the Messiah. John had expectations relating to the Messiah. Then when his expectations didn't play out in his understanding of it, or that this is the way that it ought to go, he tells his disciples to go and ask him. Ask him, are you the one or do we look for another? 
John was not exempt, as we see from some of the misunderstandings which the Jews had with their interpretations of their own prophetic word as it related to the coming of the Messiah. Neither are we exempt from expectations and misunderstandings, especially when we have expectations that we feel the Lord should fulfill and they do not get fulfilled. It's one thing to be let down by another person. But as we read and understand the Word of God, we know that people are fallible and they will let us down. It still happens. People do let you down at times. Then what do you do? Do you avoid them? It's awkward to be around someone who has let you down. Maybe you choose to back off a little. Do you ever do the same thing with God? Maybe you have diligently prayed and waited on God for something. And you feel that you haven't got an answer or direction. People tend to back away the same way they do with other relationships. And there are many things in the world that can, you, you can get involved in and distracted. Things that take up your time, energy, and effort. So when we feel we are let down by God, we get disappointed. This is very dangerous ground. Satan would just love to get his hands on your disappointment and discouragement as it relates to an expectation that you had in the Lord that was not fulfilled in the way that you wanted it to or that you prayed about it to be fulfilled. So don't allow your discouragement and disappointment to grow in such a way that it becomes a stumbling block to your walk with Christ. How do we do that? First, I believe we need to remind yourself that God loves you. First Chronicles 16.34 says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good. His mercy endures forever. When we feel let down, Satan loves to somehow confirm what we already believe, what we're already being tempted to believe, what we're already tempted to believe. And that is that God doesn't love you. God loves other people. The enemy somehow sows that kind of thought process into our minds in such a way that we possibly wouldn't verbalize it to anyone. But we begin to believe that we are unloved by God. At a time like that, we need to confront that idea, whether it's still a temptation or whether you have taken a hold of it. Confront it with the Word of God. Bathe your heart in the Scripture. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His mercy endures forever. God loves you. His mercy endures forever. Live by faith. We are called to live by faith. The Bible doesn't say to live by your feelings. It doesn't say to live according to your circumstances. No, it says we are to live by faith. It says the righteous shall live by faith. This means that whatever is going on around us is not the basis for which I'm going to judge God and His goodness and love for me. I'm going to believe that He is good and that He loves me. 
We must put our faith in the word of God and not in our circumstances. Because the righteous do not live by circumstances, they live by faith. The second thing we must recognize is God's wisdom far exceeds your own. Isaiah 55, 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. God's wisdom is far superior to our own. It exceeds our ability to see the situation. The reason we often feel let down is because we're trying to figure it out. We're missing pieces of the puzzle. We try to put pieces together and make sense of it, and often we can't. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. Are you leaning on your own understanding this morning? Too often I find myself taking the pieces that I do have, and I'm trying to figure it out and make sense of it, and I just can't. God's Word is filled with these kind of statements that counsel you and I. We don't know exactly how things or how He is going about it, but we do know what the end result is, and that is the third thing we need to remember. We need to remember that God has promised to work good out of the circumstances, the challenges, and the difficult situations in our lives. Third point is by acknowledging that God has promised to work good in your life. We must learn to believe amidst the trials. And say, God, I believe you're going to bring good out of the situation. I believe you're going to bring glory to your name out of this situation. Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. This verse begins with affirmation. It says, we know. What is it that we know? We know that in all things, God works for the good. Sometimes I must go back and read that verse and ask myself, do I know that? Do I believe that? Or do we say, do I say, I know it, and when it comes down to it, I really don't believe it. Trials have a way of showing us who we really are. When we go through hard situations, there's all these wonderful promises in God's Word that we can quote. We underline them in our Bibles, but do we really believe them? Because my response sometimes tells me otherwise. I need to come back to God and say, forgive me for not putting my faith in your word. Forgive me for believing my circumstance over and above your word. Forgive me for leaning on my own understanding. Forgive me for not believing that you love me and that you are good. Forgive me for not trusting that you are going to bring good things out of this situation. We need to bathe our hearts in the Word of God and allow it to just wash our hearts clean of those things that try to get me to believe things that are contrary to the Word of God. Verse 4 of our text, 
Here Jesus responds to John's question. Are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you heard and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Jesus wanted to assure both John and his disciples that he was the Messiah. But he also reminded them that his power would be displayed most in humble acts of service, meeting individual needs and not in spectacular displays of political deliverance. So why is Jesus telling them to go back and tell John these things? Because this is what was prophesied. He is reminding John of what else the prophecies had to say about what the Messiah would come and do. John was being rather selective about what the Messiah would come and do. So Jesus is gently saying to John, John's disciples and to John, they said, tell John this, it is happening. It's happening the way that God's word said it was going to happen. The book of Isaiah outlines that the Messiah would come and do all those things. He would raise the dead, the lame would walk, the deaf would hear, and the mute would speak. The lepers would be cleansed, and the good news would be proclaimed. The Messiah was to come and do all these things, according to Isaiah, and it was going to happen. Then in verse 6, Jesus makes this interesting statement. In Matthew 5, we have the Beatitudes. And here in verse 6, we have an additional beatitude. It says, And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. The Greek word for offend here means to run into or stumble over something that was in your path. It refers to things we stumble over that are in our path that we don't see. But it can also refer to things we stumble over that we do see. There are times that Jesus trips us up in a way that we are offended. Jesus offended people when he would say, I am the way. I am the only way. No man comes to the Father but by me. People were offended by that statement. People who are offended by that would turn away from Jesus and say, that's ridiculous. That's offensive to me for you to limit it limit it to just you. It would, that would be an unbeliever who would be offended and stumble over something like that. Christians too can be offended. We can be cruising along in our Christian walk and suddenly he convicts us through the Holy Spirit of something in our life, something in our life that we need to get rid of as it relates to sin or some behavior that is detrimental in our lives and we're offended that he would have the boldness to say to me unless you are willing to take up your cross and follow me you're not worthy of me or unless you love me more than your father mother sister brother husband and wife you're not worthy Jesus says blessed are those who are not offended because of me there was a blessing for those who were not offended because of the Messiah who came against 
the expectation of the people. If we are living for Jesus, that means dying to self. It means taking up your cross and saying, Jesus, I will go where you want me to go. I will do what you want me to do. And when we start to love something too much, Jesus may just say something to us like he did to the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler was offended. Jesus told him to take all that money that he saved up and inherited. He said, why don't you just give it to the poor and then come follow me. It says he went away sad because he had great wealth. He came up against Jesus and something that Jesus said offended him to the point where he couldn't do it. I believe that's what Jesus is saying here as it relates to John's question. You know, John signed up to be the messenger. He didn't sign up for prison time. That probably wasn't on his radar. This isn't going the way that I thought it was supposed to. It is a serious place to be. Next we have this statement concerning John, starting in verse 7. I like how Jesus begins to talk to the people about John. And he began to ask them questions. Verse 7. As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitude concerning John, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? That refers to someone who flows with popular opinion or pressure. And verse 8, what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? No, you don't find people living in fine clothes living out in the wilderness. They live in palaces. It says, indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom... It is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Here Jesus is quoting Malachi. Malachi is the one who prophesied Jesus' coming. He said, I will send my messenger ahead of you. Malachi 3.1 says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant. In whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Then in the next chapter of Malachi, he said something else about a forerunner of Christ. Malachi 4, verse 5 and 6. It says, Behold, I, send, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. I believe this description is his second coming, not his first coming. When Jesus came, it was not the great and dreadful day of the Lord. It was the day of salvation. It was the day of mercy and grace. In the second coming, it will be the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Also in Malachi, he speaks of the day as a day when fire will burn up everything. And he says, I will send you the prophet Elijah in that day. Remember, Elijah never experienced physical death, but was simply taken up to be with the Lord. So then in verse 6, what will he do? It says, And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. 
Notice in verse 6, it says, He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Why is that important? This is almost the same wording that the angel Gabriel used when he appeared to John's father to tell him he was going to have a son. In Luke 1 it says, and this is the angel Gabriel speaking, Luke 1, 16 and 17 says, And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. It's not word for word, but it's close. The angel Gabriel is almost quoting Malachi, which says, I will send Elijah. Now, what did Jesus say in our text today to his disciples? Verse 14 says, And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. John may also be seen as Elijah in a partial fulfillment of Malachi 4. John was not actually Elijah, but he served in the same spirit and power of Elijah, thus fulfilling his office. Because John was Elijah in this symbolic sense, Jesus added, if you are willing to receive it. Now let's look at what John said about himself. You can turn with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 19. When he started his ministry, they started coming to him and asking him who he was. And he says this. Now this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you, that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. It also comes up later in Matthew chapter 17. Matthew 17, verse 10. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first, and will, that's future tense, restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has come already, and they do not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. Back in Matthew 11, verse 11 says, Surely I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. It says those that are born of women. This means mortal men. The idea being that the greatest of all in this life cannot be compared with the glory of the life to come. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Jesus' reference to violence 
refers to both the intensity of spiritual warfare surrounding the ministry of Jesus and his herald, and also the intensity required to persevere in following God and his kingdom. For all the prophets in the law prophesied unto John. Verse 13. Under the old covenant, every prophet announced, The Messiah is coming. But John alone had the privilege of saying, The Messiah is here. The whole of the Old Testament dispensation was prophetic. In verse 14, he says, And if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. John the Baptist was prophetically called Elijah. In verse 15, he who, has he, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is a call to candid and thoughtful attention. Listen and think. Be willing to receive what I say. So I ask you this morning, are you willing to receive the gospel message? Christ is coming again. Jesus promised his disciples that he would come again in John 14. It says, Let not your heart be troubled. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And in closing, I'm going to read from Luke 21. Luke 21, verses 34 to 36. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life, and that day come on you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the earth. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass, and to stand before the Son of Man. And then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 16 to 18. For the Lord himself will send from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. So my prayer for each one of us is that he would find us faithful when he returns for his bride. Shall we have a song?